0: Let's pray before we get started this morning. Our Father, we love you. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. As we come in this time to study your word, we need your Holy Spirit to come to speak to us deep into our hearts to bring change and strength and encouragement into our lives. Father, you've promised in your word that it will not return void, but it will accomplish that for which you've purposed it. So today we ask that your spirit would take your word, bring it to bear onto our lives. Father, through the power of your spirit and through the power of your word that, God, you would break down strongholds that we might have erected and bring our every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Father, your Holy Spirit and your word would work together to shine a light into our hearts that we could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, today, you know, the needs and the concerns and the burdens that we all have, you know what's going on in each life and in each heart and what is needed So today, Father, be what only you can be and do what only you can do. Father, we ask you to save the lost, to restore the backslider, strengthen the weak, encourage the discouraged, transform the saints that we can be more like Jesus. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Use this time to help us we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Most of my life I lived under the general impression that the only reason bad things happen or I would suffer was because God was mad at me and he was punishing me for something I'd done wrong. After all the Bible says that we reap what we sow. Therefore any hardship or suffering that came into my life must be because I had lived contrary to God's will, right? Now, furthering this mindset is the common teaching in our culture that says God's absolute will for all believers is for them to be healthy, wealthy, and to have trouble-free lives. According to many teachers today, even the slightest trouble or hardship or experience of suffering is a sign that you're out of God's will or you don't have enough faith. If you find yourself experiencing troubles or hardships or suffering, you should repent of whatever sin It's bringing this into your life and you should just believe. And if you do these things, God will make it all better. If God doesn't make it all better, it's because you really didn't repent or you really don't believe. And making this even more confusing are the facts that Scripture does say we will reap what we've sown. And Scripture does say that God likes to bless his people. So what does this mean? Does it mean that any time we have suffering or hardship in our life, is it because we have lived in sin and we're being punished? Is it because we don't have enough faith? Or is it possible that we can be in the center of God's will, doing exactly what God wants done in the way that he wants it done, and still experience suffering? And that is the myth we're going to examine today. Suffering. Is never God's will. The popular teaching. Is that health and prosperity and ease are always, always God's will. And that any hardship or suffering. is Always a sign that something is wrong in our lives. Two questions we have to ask about this to find out if it's a truth or a myth. Is this consistent with reality? Not just the world that we live in, because if it's true, it's the way we see it in our world. And secondly, and possibly more importantly, is it consistent with Scripture? Well, Let's consider what we find in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have prophets like Isaiah who do exactly what God wants done. That he does it the way God wants it done. And he does it in the time that God wants it done. And yet he still finds himself hated, rejected. Actually, from what we understand, he was sawn in half by a wicked king for his faithfulness to God. You have the prophet Jeremiah, who also did what God wanted done. And he did it the way God wanted it done and when God wanted it done. And yet found himself hated By his people tossed into a muddy pit and often even violently assaulted because he was doing God's will. Well, suffering, not being God's will and mean we're out of God's will. it, It can't be consistent with the Old Testament because it doesn't fit with the lives of the people that live there. But some will say the New Testament time is different. So let's consider the New Testament. What about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul did what God wanted done. He did it the way God wanted it done. He did it when God wanted it done. And yet he suffered beatings and mistreatment and hatred. And he went without food and he was shipwrecked. and, And he had all kinds of things bad that happened to him. And to make Paul's life even more concerning is this. When Paul was saved, the Lord spoke to a man about him and said, go to him. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, if it had stopped there, that would be awesome, right? He is chosen to go before kings and share the gospel. But look at what Jesus goes on to say. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was going to suffer For doing Jesus' will. Paul's life was never going to be easy. No matter how much of God's will he did. How perfectly he did it or when he did it. Suffering was going to come into Paul's life. Consider the early church. The book of Acts is filled with stories. The church of Jesus Christ suffering. Not because they're not doing what's right, but because they are. They're suffering because they've converted from Judaism to Christianity. They're suffering because they've stopped worshipping Zeus and started worshipping Jesus. They suffer because they won't say Caesar is Lord because they know that Jesus is Lord. What about the reformers? Many of the reformers were burned at the stake because they believed that salvation came by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and they believed the Bible belonged to the people and they worked to get it into the hands of the common man. For doing that, they were accused of heresy and they were burned at the stake. What about believers all over the world today? Third world countries and Muslim controlled nations that will suffer. Because they believe in Jesus. Today, there will be believers who do without food and water because they refuse to recant their faith in Jesus. Today, believers will be beaten and martyred because they refuse to recant their faith in Jesus. This is just what's going on right now in our world. Now, are we really supposed to believe? That everyone from the Old Testament saints to the people suffering today were all out of God's will. That not one of them had enough faith. Not one of them lived according to the way God wanted them That Not one of them did God's will in the right way. Surely, surely that can't be the case. Surely it is, it is more consistent and more likely to say, you can be in the center of God's will. And you can be doing exactly what God wants done, and you can suffer anyway. Think about, think about Jesus. I mean, surely for any, any belief to be Christian, it has to be able to be reconciled with Jesus. Jesus did the Father's will. That was his beloved son with whom he was well pleased, was the testimony from God the Father. He never sinned. He never doubted. He never did anything wrong. And yet, what happened in his life? Was it a life of peace and prosperity and love of the people? No. It was a life of rejection that ended painfully, badly, horribly. Ah, but you're saying, that's Jesus Jesus came for the express purpose of dying on the cross for our sins. He had to suffer. And you're right. But the Bible, the Bible won't let us get away with saying that was Jesus and it doesn't apply to us. Because the Bible says, so then since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. Why? So you can be ready to suffer too. Jesus repeatedly said, if they did bad things to him, then make no mistake, they would do bad things to those who followed him. Jesus suffered. And so we must have the same attitude and willingness to suffer for the glory of God and the will of God, because we will suffer too. There is no escape. From suffering in this life. We suffer for doing God's will. We suffer as we do God's will. And we suffer if we ignore God's will. Suffering comes to all people. Of all times and all places. And there is no way to escape it. So the myth is a myth. How does the myth make us miserable? Well, if we're all going to experience suffering then that means there is a time when you or I are going to suffer. If you're not suffering now, you will suffer in the future. And they'll they'll range in all kinds from really bad to not so bad. But bad things, hardships and trials are going to happen in all of our lives. What happens if I have tried to live for Jesus? I believe the best I can. And suffering still comes. And my mindset says that this suffering is never God's will. That this suffering is always because I have sinned. Because I don't have enough faith. And so I repent of things I did in kindergarten. I pray and I confess and I fast. And I try to cry out to God to fix it. And yet it doesn't get better. It only gets worse. What does that do to my faith? What does that do to my life? Not only am I suffering... But apparently, God has abandoned me. Apparently, I'm a horrible human and a terrible Christian because God will not accept me. And my best is never good enough. It adds misery upon misery, heartache upon heartache. That is the myth that makes us miserable. So what is the truth that sets us free? The truth that sets us free is that suffering can be God's way to accomplish His will in my life. Suffering can be God's way to accomplish His will in my life. Now certainly, there are times where we suffer for our sins. We do reap what we have sown. However, the Bible also clearly teaches that there are times where we suffer Because we've done what's right. As well as times that we suffer as we do what's right. There are times when we suffer because of the sins of others. The times we suffer because we live in a world where suffering abounds. And there are times where we suffer because God has something he wants to do in our life. And suffering is the way that he'll choose to accomplish that. There's a verse that is powerful. Peter. Writing to a people who are suffering. In this, in the hope that they have in Christ, they greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, Peter doesn't list what the various trials they've suffered are. But if the other people at their time period, what we know of Scripture, tells us anything about what they've suffered, it was pretty bad. Things that it could have been. They could have been, if they were Jewish, kicked out of the synagogues and cut off from Jewish life for converting to Christianity. It's possible that they've lost family members over their conversion to Christianity. It wasn't uncommon for husbands to leave wives who converted to Christianity, for wives to leave husbands who converted, for parents to abandon their children or for children to abandon their parents because they converted to Christianity. It wasn't uncommon for people to lose their jobs because they had converted to Christianity. It wasn't uncommon for people to suffer physically, to be beaten, physically beaten because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't uncommon for them to be mocked and and despitefully treated, for them to have their stuff taken and the authorities look the other way because nobody cared because they were Christians. It wasn't uncommon for people to die for their faith in Jesus. They may well have watched husbands and wives and children and parents die at the hands of those who hated Jesus and so hated them. They had indeed been grieved by these various trials. They were hard. They hurt. They were miserable. But in this passage, there is a phrase that I've underlined that is important for us to see. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And the sense of the passage is that there is a need. They were being grieved by various trials because there was a need for it in their lives. Now, that is a, that is a tough thought to consider. Since there was a need, they had been grieved by various trials, and that would mean that the trials they were suffering, the issues they were facing, it wasn't the random circumstances of life. Instead, it was intentional acts of a sovereign God. Tended to bring about a specific purpose in their lives. And that can be a brutal thought to consider, that God would not just allow suffering, but that God might send it into your life and mine for a specific purpose, because he feels we need it for one reason or another. Now, to be perfectly honest, I would rather not consider that thought. I would much rather believe that God never does anything like this. And God never allows anything like this. But if all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Then we have to deal with things like this. What does it mean? How, how can there possibly be a need for suffering? Surely God could just say, hey, make a change. Hey, do this. And surely we would, we would do it, right? Well... Not necessarily. See, God God is not as committed to our, our comfort and our happiness and our ease of life as we tend to think that he is. God is instead far more concerned with our character, with our faith, for our devotion to him. And so God is committed to doing whatever is necessary in our lives to bring about these things. And it is easy for us in times of ease to ignore the voice of the Lord. When everything is, is okay in our lives and, and we are prosperous and our life is easy and comfortable. It's easy to get complacent and to get apathetic and to say, I, I'm fine the way that I am. I, I don't need to make any changes. And so sometimes what has to happen is God needs to get our attention So that we will listen to Him. That we will give Him our full attention. And then He can bring about the changes that are necessary. C.S. Lewis made a quote that is awesome. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience. But He shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If you have ever gone through... Suffering as a believer, you know that in that moment, when that happens, when the plans fall apart, when the diagnosis goes bad, God has your full attention. Things that you don't care about are abound. You don't care about whether someone's standing or kneeling for the national anthem. You don't care about who the next president's going to be if your loved one is about to die. You, you don't care about who's going to win the voice. You, you don't care about any number of superficial, unimportant things. You care about God. What's He doing? What's going on? God has your full attention so that He can then accomplish His will in your life. So how does how does this truth set us free? There is comfort in knowing that God is sovereignly in control of our lives. There is comfort in knowing that while circumstances may be out of my control, they're never out of God's. There is comfort in knowing. That the circumstances that surprised me didn't surprise God. That my life is always in his hand. He is in full control. And can work in it and through it. To do anything that he wants to do. And it helps in this time when we begin to ask God. What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do in my life right now? You have my attention. What needs to be done? And while... There can be any number of individual things that God would do in each of our lives through suffering. There are three general ways that suffering works to accomplish God's will in our life. First is that suffering strengthens my faith. Suffering strengthens my faith. God wants us to have a strong faith in him. He wants us to go beyond believing in Him to believing Him. right? And and there's a difference in those two. Believing in God acknowledges that God is out there somewhere. Believing God, though, taking Him at His word, making life choices because of what He has said and who He has revealed Himself to be, that is vastly different than believing in God, You can believe in God without believing God. Our culture is, is filled with people who believe in God, but never make a life choice based upon that belief. God doesn't want us to just believe He's out there somewhere. He wants us to believe Him, to take Him at His word, and to make changes in our lives because of who He says He is and what He has told us to do. And there are two primary ways that our faith is strengthened to the place that it needs to be. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Hearing God's word. Studying God's word. That strengthens our faith. But hearing and reading isn't enough. That faith must always be lived out. That faith must always be put into practice. And that's where suffering comes in. Suffering tests our faith suffering provides resistance to what we know to see if we will stick it out think of faith like a muscle muscles grow through resistance training you can you can read all the books in the world on kinesiology And you can watch the Mr. Olympia competition and you can watch every World's Strongest Man competition there is. You can interview the competitors and you can find out when they work out, how they work out, what they eat, what they do in between. But all of that knowledge, it's not going to build your muscles. Reading the books and talking to the people won't make your muscles strong at some point. You're going to have to take what you've learned and take it to the gym. You're going to have to pick up weights and resist against it you're going to have to experience pain and soreness and stress that comes from lifting the weights. And then and only then will your muscles grow. Now, the the kinesiology and reading stuff like that, it's helpful. It keeps you from wasting your time at the gym. But until you get to the gym, until you lift heavy things, until you do resistance training, the muscle never grows. It's easy to say, God is great and God is awesome. God always has a plan for what's good. And and God loves me. God's always there. God always protects me. We can read that. And those thoughts are encouraging. And they're helpful. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Wow, That's awesome. But what about when the suffering comes? Can we we live out what we know in that time of resistance? Because... When God is good, how do I reconcile a good God with bad things that are happening in my life? There's tension. There's resistance that I have to deal with. And God wants us to have a faith that is strong and believing in Him. So at times He'll send suffering into our lives to test our faith. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, let's just stop there. How countercultural is Christianity? When trials and troubles come your way, don't whine and complain. In James, in passage later in James that we did in Sunday school this morning, James said not to even grumble about it. Instead, considered an opportunity for joy. Well, how on earth could I consider suffering an opportunity for joy? Because of what can happen through it. For you know that when your faith is tested, when there's resistance, your endurance has a chance to grow. Endurance, strength of faith. It's easy to say to someone else who's suffering, just believe in God. You know God loves you. God's somehow going to work this for your good and for his glory. God's with you, man. Just it'll be okay." Hey, that's. Man, it's easy to let stuff like that roll off the tongue when others are suffering. Can you do it when you're suffering? Is God good when you're suffering? Does God love you when you're suffering? Does God hear and answer your prayers when you pray and the suffering doesn't stop? You see, we don't know how strong our faith is until continuing in the faith Becomes a gut check. Until it hurts. Until the choices are clearly before us of turning away or keeping on. And in keeping on, our faith grows. Keeping on, endurance has a chance to grow. God wants us to have a strong faith in Him. He wants us to believe Him. And in order for us to have the kind of faith God wants us to have, there will have to be hardships and troubles in our life. A life of ease, a life of comfort, does not produce a strong faith in God. We never know what we believe about who God is and what God is like. Until everything is challenged. Until suffering provides resistance to that faith. And at that point, what we live out, that shows what we really believe. And when we come through this and our endurance is strengthened, our faith is strengthened. We, are, we have more faith that God is good, that God is kind, that God is there, regardless of the circumstances of our life. Suffering strengthens my faith, but suffering also forges a Christ-like character in us. Endurance isn't the end of the process. Even James says, when endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The book of Romans that I read at the beginning of the service, it, it expounds upon this. Not only that, but... We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance and perseverance character. God's desire is that we would have Christ like character formed in our lives. And the word that that Paul uses as character in Romans five, it carries with it the idea of of metal that has been purified by fire. Christ-like character is forged in the fires of trials. It's forged in the fires of suffering. I love this verse. It says that God will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them It's gold and silver. That they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. From what I understand... Silver is purified by heating it to a boiling point. And when silver boils, the the junk floats to the top. And the refiner scoops the junk out and he throws it away and he keeps boiling until more junk floats to the top. And he he scoops that out and he throws it away. And he does that until the the silver takes on a a mirror-like quality and he can see himself in it. For us to have the kind of character that God wants us to have, sometimes the the heat will have to be turned up so the the junk in our character can be brought to the surface. And when the the junk is brought to the surface, God scoops it out and He throws it away. And He keeps doing that until He can look at us and He can see Himself reflected in our character and our attitudes and our priorities and in our lives. Now, we can't let this make us down or discouraged. The idea that God is working on us to produce a Christ-like character is a good thing. Now, what's the the kid's song that we teach them? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. But it took him just a week to make the sun and moon and I can't remember how it goes, all the planets. Oh, how kind and patient he must be for he's still working on me. Listen, that God wants me to be. Better than I am. That's not a bad thing. That God has better plans for me than the way I currently am is not discouraging or down. That God looks at me and He knows that I can be more like Jesus. Man, that's a great thing. And so every time as God works in our lives to to scoop out the junk, that is an encouraging thought. He hasn't given up. He hasn't abandoned us. He sees how we are, but he knows that we can be better and more. So he works and he forges and he purifies. Because the reality is, Christ-like character is not produced in a life of ease. We we see this in the world. What happens to children who are never corrected? What happens to children that are always given everything they ever want? Do they grow up and be wonderful human beings? Or do they grow up to be the person we avoid at all costs in life? What does it take for a child to grow up to be a a profitable human being? Correction. Instruction. Discipline. It takes the junk to be scooped out of their character because they can be better than they currently are. God is not an indulgent parent giving in to our every whim. God is a, a father seeking to produce a certain type of son and a certain type of daughter. And he is committed to producing that kind of character In our lives. And so at times he'll turn up the heat. So the junk boils to the top. And then he can scoop it out. And he can throw it away. Suffering. Strengthens my faith. Suffering forges Christ-like character. Final is that suffering provides a course correction. When we talk about suffering. And the purpose of it. It's easy to fall into an extreme of one or the other. On one side is the idea that suffering is always a sign we've done something wrong. We're, all, we're always out of God's will. Anytime something bad happens, it's because we've done something wrong. On the other extreme is to say that, that suffering is never a result of our actions. That suffering never comes because of our sin and our rebellion against God. See, because the Bible still says that we reap what we sow. And if we sow to the flesh, we we will reap consequences from that. And so we have to find a balance. We have to find a balance between it's, it's always sin and it's never sin. And the balance we have to come to is sometimes it's sin. Sometimes we stray Sometimes we get off the path that God would have for us. What does a father do when his children stray off the path that he wants them to go in? He corrects them. He chastens them. And he says that if you endure chastening, it's correction. It can be suffering. Then God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Right? So... If we stray and if we go astray and God begins to work in our lives to to chasten us, to deal with us, that's because we are his children. And, and the way I understand, the way I, I see and the way I've seen in my life, the way that God works is that when we stray, God initially deals with us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, spirit of God work in our hearts to show us how we've strayed from God, calls us back. But we don't always come back. Sometimes we we keep going and we push further and further away. And as we keep going, God begins to use stronger measures. right? Stronger and stronger until he he does what is necessary. I think about Job. Job got swallowed by a giant fish. Why? Because he didn't go where God wanted him to go. It's pretty extreme. It shows the kind of links that God will go to to correct his children. Now, one thing I want to point out before we go on it says, if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Right? Here's the point there. If you can stray from God's will and God's word and God's ways and, and there's no conviction and there's no chastening and there's no, no nothing, it's just like everything is fine and dandy, it's not because you and God have a special deal. It's not because God is okay with your sin or he's not okay with somebody else's sin. It's because you're not God's child. The child of God cannot live in sin without some sort of chastening. If we can begin to stray and keep going further and further away from God, and God never convicts, and He never deals with us, and He never tries to bring us back, it's not that we found a loophole in the system, it's that we're really not God's children. It's like if you go to Walmart. You go to Walmart and and kids are throwing things and screaming and crying. You'll just pick up the random kid and whip them and put them in the seat, do you? No. Why? They're not your kid. In a similar way, God disciplines His children. Those who have believed in His Son and have a relationship with Him through faith. And if you can live in sin... And you can push away from God with no correction, no chastening, no condemn, no conviction, no, no suffering to bring you back. Make no mistake. You are not saved. And your need is to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the author of Hebrews says that human fathers do this and we give them respect. When our human parents parented us, we didn't hate them. At least I didn't. We we gave them respect because they were doing the best that they could. I look back at my parents and how they raised me, and there were some things that I think they they went overboard with. But they were doing the best they could. They were flawed. They were imperfect. And and I respect them for the, the discipline they gave into my life the rules and the regulations, the way they tried to keep me on the right track. And if I would do that for my earthly parents, how much more should I do that to my heavenly Father, who who is not just trying to do what's right, but is doing what's right, is doing what's best. The author of Hebrews he goes on, and he says, "For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best, but he, and this is important, for our profit." That we may be partakers of His holiness. There is a point to what God is doing if we're straying. But right? it isn't God. Let me say this carefully. God is not angrily punishing you as a believer if you stray. God is lovingly chastening you to get you back on the right track. His goal is to help us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. God, God's anger at you and I as believers has been dealt with on the cross. God's the condemnation for our sin has been dealt with on the cross if we're believers in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that God is okay with everything that we do. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care if we stray. He does. He does. And he deals with us, but always for a purpose, to bring us back to Jesus, to bring us back to the path of holiness. Now, certainly, some ch- no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. The longer we stray, the more difficult it will become, the harder it will be. But there's a point. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness To those who have been trained by it. God's doing it for our good. For our good. Make no mistake. What God is doing in your life and mine is always for our good. It may be painful. And it may not seem pleasant. But in the end, it is always for our good. And so sometimes, suffering comes because we strayed. And God is trying to get us back to the right path. God's desire is that we would have a strong faith in him. God's desire is that we would be like Jesus in this world. And God's desire is that we would live on the path to life always. And he is committed to doing what is necessary to keep us on that path in this life. There's a quote by a guy named J.I. Packer that I searched for this week, but I couldn't find. And the essence of the quote is that God wants us to open our hand so that he can fill it with good things. But as long as we're holding tightly to what we think is good, we can't have what God wants for us. And so God is committed to doing what is necessary to make us open up our hand to him. To let go of what we think is important. So that he can place in our hand what is truly important. And to this end he sends both suffering and blessings. So that we can let go of the temporary that we want to hold on to. And grab on to the eternal, the significant that he wants to give us. What God does in our lives. Everything. It is always for for our good so that we will open up our hand to Him and take what He wants to give us rather than clinging to what this world says matters. Let's stand as our musicians come forward